0: Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
1: there's people out there uh, you're listening to on the menu with Ann and Peter Haig and we're going to start out with an interview with Lisa and Sally Eckes of the Eckes group uh, which is a pioneer in the whole field of promoting of specialty food and boy they're having their 40th anniversary just listen to their story Oh, it's. I'm so excited to be talking to Lisa and Sally Eckes, who I've known Lisa for a million years, and her daughter Sally has joined, and they're big changes that this organization, this business this communications company has always been uh, right alongside everything we've done from women's chefs and restaurants well I think we're going to say first of all happy 40th anniversary if you can believe that listeners it's the 40th year and uh, Lisa you've been there and you started this company Way back at the beginning, explain a little bit about what the times were like and the kinds of things you picked up on and were able to introduce and change the whole, the whole culinary landscape of of, of publishing and
2: cookbook. Well. Thank you, Anne. It's so lovely to be here with you and Peter. And we yes, we have such a long history. I'm I'm Thank thrilled you. to be on the show. It's wonderful. It's like an old homecoming. Um I I sort of grew up, cut my publishing chops in New York City at Crown at Random House. And um I was one of the first book publicists to focus in food, there were just i mean the cookbooks had been coming for a while but i I just loved it and I paid attention to it <laughs> and and I ended up becoming um fairly knowledgeable around the limited food media at that time, Um, and when I needed to move for life circumstances out of Manhattan, I decided to take a very crazy step uh, of opening my own company. This was 40 years ago. I was about uh, 25 years old, gives you a clue, and uh, there was no... There was nobody doing this, so there was no models, which was good and bad. I mean, I struggled a lot, but I figured out, alright, what does it take to run a female owned a woman-based company, and I made it up as I went along. It was a little bit of a different time, to put it mildly, um, but I had my following from New York. I had my publisher contacts, and I set up a PR agency that specifically focused in the culinary arena, and by deci- I, I didn't even intentionally decide to go niche, but by doing so, I went very deep, and I was able able to really help uh, for a lot of first-time authors uh, get the exposure they needed to be successful and they deserve to be successful. People like Lynn Rosetto Casper, Rose Levy Berenbaum, uh, Michael McLaughlin. I mean, just, you know, there there are a lot of people that Molly Katzen and, and the Moosewood. There were a lot of people and brands that I was able to help bring forth, and each one, each one brought me deeper into the industry, and I was able to um, really learn a lot as I went. Um, and that early PR work evolved for about 20 more years, and with that, I grew my media training business right. and my consultancy business uh, and a lot of the other aspects that then led to literary agenting, which I launched in 2000, which to me was closing the circle, coming full circle. So I'll leave it there for a moment, but it's just a brief History.
1: Well, I mean, you did things that nobody even thought of doing, which, which says a lot <laughs> about where your success came from. And you picked the right people right. to the back
2: i well, so. I did, but I didn't know I mean they were uh, you know I had to figure out who had talent and and they were the publishers who were hiring me i mean they they were making the investment into the authors that they saw as current luminaries and and that that's part you know those are the people who really changed the industry I put them on your show and I I sent them for interviews and I did tours all over the country with them but they were the creative ones you know what they There's shared chefs and right, right. and they, they help bring food and and the understanding of how, you know what to cook and when to cook it and how to cook it into the forefront I mean this is we we don't think about that. It was way before Food Network,
3: you know. Oh, yes. um,
2: you know, I forever... remember, yeah. No, I
1: remember I mean... when I was uh, the uh, uh, restaurant editor of Pittsburgh Magazine, I got a call from Food Network about doing some sort of panel or something. We didn't even have a Food Network in Pittsburgh <laughs> at the time. Right, right. You know, and and I never, I mean, I had no idea what it was going to become, where you'd have all these you know, millions of people sitting around watching cooking shows
2: <laughs> well you know why because it's entertainment i mean it teaches us but it's entertainment and that's what the networks have figured out um you know or cable they figured out how to entertain people with something they need three times a day if not more how brilliant is that
1: yeah, well, of course, we had Julia Child, who, you know oh yes, yeah. <laughs> I still remember early Julia Child too. Um, now, uh, the the scene has changed enormously. Um, I want to ask Sally, Sally, how involved were you with all of these goings on with the, with the uh, um, Lisa Eckes company? And and I want to change, and I, mean, I want to make sure I. Uh, mention and talk about the the new name and what it reflects. Um, but how much were you involved with the evolution of this particular um, um, scene? I mean, the scene of public relations for cookbook authors and chefs and cooking and so forth. when you grew sure, up well, with it.
0: Yeah, I, I like to say that I've been informally training for this career my whole life because I grew up yes you know, very fortunate to sit next to Julia Child at the dinner table and watch Emeril come through our, you know, studio kitchen for media training. Um, but really, you know, as a child and in and in high school, I was Lisa's daughter. And if you had asked me at the time, what does your mom do, I would have said something in food. And I watched her, <laughs> you know, lead the, and run this Wonderful, incredible culinary agency, but I wasn't—I didn't have pressure to go into what is now very much an intentional family business. And I was right. on a path for social work and mental health counseling, oh. which I also say comes in quite handy working with authors yes. uh, in a in a yes. much lower stakes environment. And I moved back to you know my home area, and I started helping out for what at the agency and what I thought would be just a stepping stone in my life and it turned out that I completely fell in love with the matchmaking between somebody's passion and expertise and creativity on the page with the right publishing house for them to bring that that vision to fruition in a printed book and so at first I really immersed myself into the literary agenting side of the agency and the business that we that we run and a few years into doing that work as a literary associate I, you know, Lisa and I started talking about whether or not this would be a future for me in a career and so we started working on an intentional succession plan and um just this past year I became a full partner and we rebranded from the Lisa Eckes Group to the Eckes Group to encompass, you know, my my leadership moving forward and of course still honoring the the foundation for which Lisa has built this agency.
1: Uh, what, how how really Lisa has changed the whole scene. I mean, <laughs>
3: absolutely. I'd say in
1: during the pandemic, the one publishing s- segment that held up was, was the cookbook publishing What's
0: segment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're very, Mm -hmm. very fortunate to have this be our area of focus. And it's been so fun to watch her innovate these different areas of expertise within the industry. So, you know, first culinary publicity and then media training and then, you know, talent representation, literary representation. And then once I came in, we started doing a lot more a la carte matchmaking. So somebody would come to us you know, looking for a food photographer or a stylist or a writer or a collaborator because, you know, we've been in the culinary space for so long and our network runs so deep and that's when we started making those matches um, on a non-exclusive representation basis and then out of that grew my interest and, you know, my own personal portfolio of clients and so I was actively scouting and signing cookbook authors and food writers and bloggers. And, you know, certainly my focus has been on the different forms of social media influencers as well because that's a space in which, um, you know, I still am personally a bit of an outlier in terms of my own social media use, but professionally find tremendous value in in that space and, um, you know, the talent and creativity
2: there. You know, to Sally's point, you know, to Sally's point, having the youth part, you know, the, to have a different generation with all that is shifted w- oh, around yes. social media and numbers, I mean, that's one of the largest changes that we've seen in the 40 years.
1: Well, it certainly has changed everything, Mister for sure. Um, oh, yes. I mean, some good, some bad. You know, it right. creates a right. number of problems for people. <laughs> it it like used to know, be, too. "What's
2: your sign?" and now it's, you know, "What's your social <laughs> media platform?" <laughs> it has much more weight. You know, one of the other major shifts that um, I have seen and lived through, and a lot of people predicted the demise of the cookbook was when books went to eBooks, um, right. or when publishing went to eBooks, and yet for cookbooks are an anomaly you know you want to see the pictures and read the commentary and learn about the culture and have that in the kitchen with you when you cook so i pretty pretty Soon after everybody was, was on and on and on about e-books, I declared that, that e-books means, um, is really about everlasting, and I think that that's what cookbooks bring. They bring everlasting cultures, the, the hand-me-down recipes, the, the heirloom um, descriptions of where a recipe came from, of how an ingredient was sourced, and I stand by that. Um, yeah. Oh, I think you know, it's where
1: everybody went. I mean, I think that yeah. that, that that that's the distinguishing uh, characteristic of of that as opposed to something online or social media. Absolutely. Like and
2: the other big difference is, yeah, you can push a button and get a recipe free out of exactly. the printer. But it has it been tested. Who's tested it? Has it been copy edited? You know, when we, I have a, I have a personal slash professional library of cookbooks of about eight thousand, and that wasn't oh, a typo. Of it was not a verbal typo. And when we started comparing research online around different topics, each topic would go to the same articles. They just kept coming up because of the search engines but then you go and you pull the books and the books from different parts of the world and you learn about the vast influences and differences and commonalities and there's just nothing like what you can get from a from a what I call real holding your hand book
1: yeah of course the cookbooks themselves have undergone a, a whole a revolution as well I mean I can tell uh, as things come in, you know, because I, I, mean, I don't keep all my cookbooks, I <laughs> can tell you, but thousands, <laughs> I don't know what to do with But There are always at least 200 in my hole. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but you can read the trends uh, just from the cookbooks, I mean, what comes in, uh, what's published. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, now, we're now getting, um, what do you call them, graphic cookbooks.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I
1: guess the first right. one actually did that was... Um, What's her name with the... Uh, uh,
0: Michelle Kahn-Nom-Nom-Paleo? Oh, oh.
1: No, no, uh, yeah. The vegetarian we, we, one? We, the one in, um, in Brooklyn. That, that was the oh, first Dirt vegetarian. Candy? Yes, Dirt Candy. Dirt candy. Yeah. That was yeah. the, the first one I got that was a comic book.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think she did well, Amanda Collin is very cutting edge. I mean, you know, and that's that's what cookbooks also is. It's putting out there something brand new and letting the masses have at it. You know, and graphic has penetrated almost every other area of publishing. So why not
1: cookbooks? Mm-hmm. Right. And what well, they're doing it now. But,
2: um, when you saw the pandemic
1: um, approaching. What were your thoughts on how to change your messaging uh, on cookbooks?
2: Uh, I don't know that we changed messaging, per se. Um, What we had to help our clients, our authors, do was re-envision how they would promote their cookbooks, even though we had morphed more from PR into literary, but to understand how to be more creative in reaching the people who are now literally quarantined at home and cooking... Um, And I think the indie book business in, in being able to Continue to ship or really start in many ways to ship books to compete with Amazon kept the books going into the homes for people to cook from um i don't I don't know sally do you have i don 't feel like we shifted as much as the marketing and p r and sales force had to do you yeah, I would agree with that, Lisa for the most part,
0: you know we were guiding our authors through the emotional wave of. Printing getting delayed, you know, publications getting delayed or shifted and, of oh, course, uh, yeah. supply chain. Um so
1: what about and, staying on a ship that sinks and coming from Europe? Correct, right, right. right. <laughs> <Of> course, yes,
0: <laughs>
3: right. Sinking
0: <Right>. ships. Right. <laughs> um, you know, that that being said, I think globally we saw, you know, whether people c- cooked at home or not, before the pandemic, some, you know, even the most diehard takeout fan was cooking something at some point in their kitchen. And so – luckily the cookbook category had interest from people who may not have otherwise found it.
2: Right. The other, the other area is that people who wanted to write cookbooks had time, more time because they were at home and I mean, not everyone. And there were a lot of, certainly, you know, educating your kids, keeping them busy, keeping them in the school hours. There were a lot of challenges, but what we found was that we were able to take our cookbook course that we used to bring people in, in person, and in fact, we had been planning one for June of 20, and then the pandemic happened, Uh and we took it all online. We took it all on Zoom, and it was very successful, and then out of that, Sally grew this new online only cookbook course. So that was a Yeah, I big wanted to talk about that for in a
1: minute. Yeah, I, I it wanted was a to big mention shift. one thing. Um, one thing is that uh, a lot of people, uh, like people doing wine classes, um, um, any right. kind of education thing like that, um, the, the woman in Seattle uh, who does pies, I mean, all of her localized um, classes. Suddenly went global, and she had this mm-hmm. huge. They have this huge market of audience right. now, so it's right. not all bad. Yeah. Well, but you I'm you introduced creative. the subject of what you're doing, um, and. and so you've you've lived through a lot of things. I mean, you you survived the the disappearance of the celebrity chef, pretty much too. Which was avoid <laughs> <laughs> oh ask me about that one. I'm real happy about that one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and and also the the molesters, whatever they were. I mean, they they seemed to be all locked away too. Um, but and we've not uh, have the rise of veganism we have all this uh, but you have to move your your contact with the public um to an online and not in-person experience so you've developed a whole big repertoire of online things including this i didn't realize there was that much of a demand for people wanting to to write a cookbook i went to one cookbook that i wrote and it was like Chinese water torture.
2: <laughs> so why yeah, anybody wants to do that? We, we liken it to childbirth. You forget about 10 minutes after it gets published exactly. or born. <laughs> and um, then you have
0: to raise it. And then you have to
2: raise it. it.
4: Right.
1: <laughs> and promote it. Right. So tell us what your plans are for this online course. And-
0: yeah, so we like Lisa said, we have been doing workshops helping people learn about cookbook publishing, what an agent does, if I if somebody should traditionally publish or self-publish and what the differences are. And, you know, four decades in the business at this point, we hear the same questions over and over again. And so my my project in focus over the past year has been developing all of this content into a self paced online course that you can take, you know, on your own time and, and really get a deep dive into how cookbook publishing works. Mm-hmm. Any Everything and everything from, you know, what does an agent do to how to hone your idea, how to put a succinct pitch together, how to approach agents, where to find agents, what kind of money can I expect to make, you know, with a cookbook deal. And we give real examples of different deals that our agency has negotiated. So we've packaged it all together into um, a course that you can take online as a way to offer our, our expertise and our, our resources and knowledge um, sort of at any hour of the day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, uh, how do people access this information? Uh, through your website? Sure.
0: Yeah, you can go to theeckisgroup.com, and you'll see right on our homepage uh, information about our course. And the course itself is hosted on podia.com. So uh, we used a external platform to host it because they it's an online class um, hosting platform and resource but you can find all the information on our website and of course, I think on one Facebook of the
2: media. one of the reasons that we went down this pathway is that most if not all uh, because of pandemic of the the live conferences the workshops everything went away and that's when people got together and learned and shared and asked questions and talked Details talk Turkey, and you know Sally was just this a couple of days ago in Pittsburgh for the IACP, which is the first conference back in a while. So yeah. you know where do people go, and how do we better educate to get better books in the market? Um, the consumer is far more savvy, and uh, there 's many more resources, so to compete. Um, to compete well you have to create an even better product and because people are cooking um, globally they may not have been traveling much lately but that is actually cooking the food and entering the cultures of other countries um, through cookbooks has you know, maybe not fully satisfied but it's it's been a fun adventure for sure and people are cooking very differently and now we can get anything delivered to our door, so oh, yes. you know Look you can the rise
1: of the spice companies and all and oh, that whole thing. Yes, um, yes, oh.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it's it all it, be... we
0: didn't have
2: that. We didn't have that in the early days. No, we at didn't all. have a lot of stuff in the early days. Yeah. We sure didn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you persevered. You built. a, a – a, I mean, the, everybody just about has. Contact with you, anybody working in this uh, um, this market. I mean, basically, I think. Uh, and I want to mention also that something I've always admired about Lisa is that she always, and I'm sure Sally will be doing the same thing. She's always jumped in and helped uh, the newbies. You know, <laughs> to, to, yeah. And I mean, I know personally people that you've helped that really didn't have a clue about resources available. And uh, so I mean, you give back to so
2: Well, th- what's I mean next? I, th- thank you. We, it's important to us, both of us. I mean we, can't, we can only represent so many clients to do due diligence, but that doesn't mean we can't help. Provide tools and resources and educate. And when I started my business, I had nobody to ask. I had nobody mentoring me, with one exception, and that was Arena Chalmers, and she really, uh, to the to, literally to her dying day, to help help guide me. But there was oh. no one, no one to show me the ropes, really. No, you did, Lisa. <laughs> you started but, but, it. You but did it. <laughs> Well, thank you, but that's why we like to mentor. That's why we think it's so important to help people you know what i mean the 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 trite thing is the next generation, but it's the next it's the next talent group. and Sally is now talk talk about your mentoring for a l a yeah, so of course, I was raised with the tremendous value
0: of looking at the mentor mentee relationship, and so um you know, which is equally beneficial to both parties, of course. And mm-hmm. I am part- I'm participating in the American Association of Literary Agents um, uh, mentoring program where mm-hmm. they match, you know, what I guess I'm considered a seasoned agent at this point, which is also kind of funny, uh, with, a, <laughs> with an emerging agent interested in culinary. And we get to be a resource to, to one another to continue to elevate the, you know, the culinary space at large.
1: Well, I mean, I, I expect that you will have continued success because um, you're, you're in that mold. Uh, anything you. besides the, the online coursing, I mean, that you're planning to do, uh, as you see, you you seem to re- react, as I said, nimbly um, as, as this change happens, and it seems to be happening more and more frequently now. Uh, anything in, in your sights at this point?
0: Oh, I have all sorts of ideas. Uh, this launching the course was a tremendous undertaking and big project for me, and I I hope that the future in terms of what we launch and put out there holds a lot more um, in-person and experiential gathering, cooking together, eating together, and, of course, reading together. That's great i well, agree
1: I'm, I'm happy for you and uh, good talking to you lisa too um, oh thank you ann and peter
2: i mean i, I re- like we're, remember we're you remember the panel that we were on the re- i think it was women restaurateurs uh and yeah, restaurateurs I so. yeah i mean we've shared so much and been on this journey together and what a delicious <laughs> oh, journey it has been <laughs>
5: I, I wanted i wanted to i wa- wanted to say something I've been holding it back for a long time but I remember the WCR meeting in particular the one that was in San Francisco and you had to walk across the shady part of town in order to get from all the hotels to where the event actually took place but what I wanted to say somewhat controversial is back then and that was a long time ago people were not sure the, the Lisa Heckus was somebody they were very interested in. In fact, it was kind of the opposite, and you really, you really had a fight for a reputation which hmm. you've gained. And I think it's, it's tremendous to your tremendous credit that you've been able to do that. I guess you just, you just ignored the slings and arrows of outrageous <laughs> <major's> fortune. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, well I guess, thank you, uh, Peter.
2: I have worked hard and and I try to earn my keep every day. We do, and I mean, I think
1: what Peter's referencing is how um, promotion used to be almost a dirty word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and which is mm-hmm. true. It used to be uh, not now so much. It's now more educational and helping. So we've come a long ways in that too. Absolutely, and we had a lot more big egos at, at that time too. Didn't
2: we? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I rem- yeah. I believe me, I remember. I once grovelled at the feet of Phyllis Richmond of the Washington Post because well, she well that's what
1: panel we were on. Remember that?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was,
1: I mean, she, she was in the audience.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was hard. I remember at a panel on uh, talent representation, although it wasn't called that, saying money is not a dirty word. People should be paid their worth. Exactly. And we've tried to do that and do it well, and we believe in our authors, and there's a lot of unpublished authors who will make their names known and share their recipes and their words, and we look forward to it. Well, you you keep going, girls. <laughs> you keep going. <laughs> you too. Sally, <laughs> you can. hear
1: that?
0: Keep going. <laughs> yeah, we've been, yeah, been
1: a long time. And it mm-hmm. good to meet you, yeah. Sally. Good to talk to you, Lisa. And um, thank thank I, you. I hope we talk again soon. Don't hesitate to, to reach out if you have some new idea you're going to implement. Okay. Thank you. We will.
0: That's lovely. Okay, thank listeners, you so again, much.
1: Check out the website. It's the... The echoesgroup.com and it's That's Lisa great. and Sally that we're talking to. Thank you both.
0: Happy, Happy spring. Karen. Bye, Peter. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, Thank
3: you. Bye. We're going to
1: spice it up with our favorite spice purveyors, um, Burlap and Barrel, talking to Ori Zohar, um, who's a regular on, on the menu. Um, about their ever-expanding global single-source spices collaborations and a few minerals. Listen to Ori. Great. Now we're going to be talking, listeners, to a, a dear friend and a long-time colleague, and we we love this burlap and barrel, the company, and, and we love talking to Ori Zohar because he knows just about everything. <laughs> So he's our go-to spice person, and, um, and you'll notice we regularly have him on board because uh, spicing and spices are a really big issue right now that everybody's learning to cook at home or has been learning to cook at home. And so uh, we like to, to, to spread as much information as possible. And this company, Burlap and Barrel, is like a one-stop spice and also other kinds of product um, station is what I think anyhow but I I particularly asked Ori if he could tell us because there's so much confusion over a a spice that I love to use and and I think other people do too called Zatar and um, Ori why don't you just tell us sort it out I mean what's the the herb and plant (laughs) and what's the mixture or the Go ahead. Yeah,
6: yeah. No, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to chat more. Zatar is also one of my favorite spices, and everybody's confused about it. Um, <laughs> the, yeah. the truth is that there's, you know, across the Middle East, there's zatar like so many spice blends. Kind of everybody made their own version, and even when you go from like home to home, the ratios and all that stuff are different. But to go all the way to the beginning, zatar is actually the name of both the the blend and the herb. And so the blend is based on the herb called zaatar, which is this kind of somewhere in the oregano kind of family, somewhere between oh, yeah. thyme and oregano and hyssop, and um, and and it's got this really really incredible kind of refreshing herbal bright flavor, um, and it grows well and it grows quickly and all that, and and the zaatar blend. Why don't we is that, ever that see bit? it
1: offered? I mean, I never see you it know, offered
6: you know I, I it it's it is it is surprising um I think that the za'atar, the blend has been the thing that that everyone has gotten so excited about, which is just the the herb with normally sesame seeds, a little bit of sumac, some places put a little bit of salt in there, and in some places also add olive oil to the blend um and and that's what's made it across I don't know why za'atar by itself hasn't really made made its breakout debut as a as a single you know <laughs> as a yeah. single spice.
1: I've never seen it listed for uh, as a seedling or a seed or anything.
6: Yeah, we, we brought a little bit of it by itself uh, from our partner farmers in Palestine. And we haven't, I mean, we, we're just using it to make more blends, but but I think if there was more interest in it, we would definitely be happy to also just share the herb by itself. Um, mm-hmm. But in some, some cases, also even uh, some za'atar blends are red, and those are based more on bulgur. And there's like there's the the world of zaatar is is a lot broader than most people kind of know, and, and the nuances between Lebanon and Syria and Palestine and Egypt. There's there's everyone has their own kind of version of it, um, and so it's actually if this is an area that, that you like and a flavor profile that you like, there's so many cool versions of it too. And we're even working with Chef Reem, uh, who's a kind of Palestinian Syrian American chef, um, and uh-huh. just wrote a beautiful new cookbook called Arabia. Yeah, I've been the, trying to
1: get a hold of that. I wanted to review it. Well, we copy have of copies it.
6: of it, so you just tell us.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I was we'll I hoping to get a review copy of it. I have, I'm sitting here with, like, oh, at least 200 cookbooks in my hall. <laughs> you know?
6: uh, yeah, I'm sure. It's, it's a lot of weight in terms of paper. But this one is a worthy addition to your shelf. She does a really incredible job going all the way from basic techniques and how to make breads and all and kind of layering it all up to make, like, entire meals. But we're you we're have, doing a little like spicy atar with her with some of our kind of California chili flakes,
1: oh okay, great, yeah, I saw that um, that she was on your your latest newsletter, which listeners, I would urge you to get on this list for the newsletter because it's packed with useful and important information, and I'd love to read it. Do you write it?
6: Yeah, yeah. Now, honestly, we have a few people on the team that are really good writers. Ren, one of our teammates, she was a butcher uh, living in California in the Bay Area. And after a while, her and her partner moved away. Um, and she was trying to figure out what to do. And we got connected to her through a friend of a friend. And, and she's just been absolutely incredible. So now we have a, a former butcher writing our newsletters. And, and I wouldn't have it about spices. <laughs> and I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs>
1: Now, um, so you, you think that anybody who's interested in, in getting an in, um accessing the actual plant Zatar if you've got in touch with you. But I have your blend, the the, the mixture, and I don't know yeah. where it comes from, but it it's wonderful and it stands out over previous um blends that I've had. Why? So, where is it from?
6: Honestly, I think it's a lot about freshness. So so normally the way that herbs go and all spices go through this really long supply chain. And like we all know, like people, why do people love fresh herbs over dried herbs? Because dried herbs have the reputation of kind of tasting like cardboard. And it's because they're Mm -hmm. just, in particular, even more sensitive to kind of losing their flavor over time, over heat, over moisture, through all of that. So what we did instead is we worked with a kind of Palestinian family that together they're all growing the za'atar, the sumac, the sesame seeds. They're blending it for us at origin. So us being a public benefit corporation, we're saying how can we share even more of the money with our partner farmers? So instead of us paying somebody in the U.S. to blend it, we just pay the farmers. We work with them to actually blend it according to their own recipes, according to their own ratios, so this is not necessarily like an American zatar. This really, we're trying to capture the essence of what makes an incredible Palestinian zatar. And the more money we can leave with the farmers, the better it is. Because oftentimes, like you know, even like the fair trade price for organic turmeric in India is around a dollar a kilogram, and we pay close to five dollars a kilogram. Not just because we're paying more for the spices, because we're also kind of setting up the farmers to be their own direct exporter. So the idea on origin blends is a kind of new one for us, and the Zatar is our first origin blend of saying let's work with the farmers to use their traditional recipes and to make these really incredible, incredible blends that, that kind of tie back to, to, their own, to their own kind of lives and to their own work. So that's why the Zatar is really special, and I have to tell you, I was born in Israel, I go back every year, um, I've never had starters like this. I thought I knew.
1: <laughs> but it's a oh, I, really, I never really it. it's intense
6: and bright and lively one that we really like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been using it on everything to tell you the truth. How, you know, how are you I cooking totally with this. it? Tell me. Oh, well, uh, first of all, um I, I like it on I think it's hard coming up with something new to do with beets. So, um yeah, Peter uh, boils boils them and then I get to dress them. And uh, I've, I've hit on um, zatar as, as a very unusual uh, twist to the, the standard beet thing.:
6: Yeah, the,
1: yeah that sounds yeah, great. I, I slice them and then sprinkle the zatar on it. And
5: the other thing that's surprising, and you prob- probably haven't noticed, because you only just noticed it was super duper good, but I've been using it on fish. Sprinkling it, yeah, on fish and then painting and then painting it on the surface of the skin with olive oil and a little brush I have called orca. <laughs> that's
6: amazing, amazing. Like an orca. yeah, I think that's exactly the zatar. It has the sumac in it, which is this kind of sour, tart, citrusy flavor, and fish already works really well with citrus, so that, that's a really good combination.
1: That's good. Now, um, yeah, y- you recently had a a stand-up trip to Guatemala, which is a place that I'm very fond of, Um, and uh, I don't think people generally associate Guatemala with spices. Tell us a little bit about that.
6: Yeah, Guatemala's a really interesting country because, you know, spices came into Guatemala in in a funny way um, in that, You know, first in the early nineteen hundreds there were some German coffee farmers in Guatemala that were trying to figure out what else to plant and there was a global demand for cardamom because India limits the cardamom that they export and so it's hard to get kind of cardamom. India grows more cardamom than anywhere else in the world but it's but they don't most of it's for for kinda local consumption. And there's a huge Indian diaspora community. There's also across the Middle East, you know, coffee and cardamom is, is a pairing that, that you know, uh, you, it, it's hard to get coffee without cardamom in many places around really? the Middle East, and yeah. Turkey and the Mediterranean. And so it turns out that cardamom not only grows very well in Guatemala, but that, that an entire industry sprung up around it. And it's it's one of those very rare instances where Guatemala exports more cardamom than any other country in the world. It has not broken into the local cuisine in any way. They don't like it. They don't know what to do with it. (laughs) They don't cook (laughs) with it. We talked to maybe 20 or 30 people across our trip. And we just said, hey, how how do you cook with cardamom? They're like, "I, I don't. (laughs) <laughs> so, but, but they grow incredible cardamom and we, we met Don Amilcar who is as far as we know the only vertically integrated cardamom farmer in Guatemala where who even like he was a kid working on the cardamom farms picking then eventually went to the military then eventually started buying up the farmland then bought the truck then brought a drying machine then brought a grinding machine then just kind of kept picking this stuff up and, and, and built this whole cardamom supply chain and what's really interesting that goes alongside that is that, that uh, since he asked his customers, what else do you need? And so he started growing uh, uh, the whole limes, started growing limes that then sit outside and cure in the sun and turn into black limes just through oh, the so sun. Well that the black
1: lime, we also swear by black lime, and that's your black lime comes from Guatemala?
6: It comes from Guatemala, and it's this, it's, it really was a kind of, we talked to the black lime farmers, and they said, our, our father met with uh, somebody from the Middle East. They said, just an Arab. We said, from where? They said, we don't know. And they're like, and he taught them how to dry this properly and how to cure this black lime. So I think because so much of the cardamom was going to the Middle East, some enterprising farmers said, what else do you need? And they said, oh, well, we could also use this like black lime, also called Persian lime or Omani lime. Um, and so they started growing that and, and curing it, you know, according to the traditional methods, which is, you know, kind of laying it out in the sun and letting the juices run. And, and it kind of, they turn into these like ping pong, hollow ping pong ball kind of limes. And, and then they put them in a kind of plastic bag for another 20, 25 days. And they kind of cure. Yeah, it takes cure a
1: long time to there. get black lime.
6: <laughs> it takes a long time. A surprising amount of chefs in New York that we've talked to uh, do it themselves. They'll throw it in the dehydrator for a few days, but it's a whole lot of work for, for a few lines. So that, that also comes from Guatemala. And I think that the last thing that's, I think, interesting is that chilies in general, chili peppers that we all know and love, are all native yeah. to Central and South America. And so even though we know Hungarian paprika and we know Spanish paprika and they've kind of very nicely propagated themselves across the world, because peppers do a really nice job. You know, you throw a pepper in any environment, and some are spicy, some are thin-walled, some are thick-walled, some are small, Mm -hmm. large, and they kind of do a really nice job of adapting to their environment. But peppers, chili peppers, are native to Central and South America. And so outside of the city of Coban in northern Guatemala grows a a pepper called the Cobanero chili. And we Uh asked our partner farmer if he knew anybody that grew it, Don and then the next time we came to visit, he pulled the tarp off of a pile of, Cobanero chilies that he had grown and dried for us you know in the corner of his warehouse and so this is a really beautiful kind of medium to to kind of it's got some bite to it in terms of the spiciness but it also Mm -hmm. has this really beautiful fruitiness and, and just a slight hint of smoke and so honestly it's become one of my favorite chili peppers and so now we get all this from guatemala the the limes the cardamom chili peppers there's so much that grows there in the very like fertile soil of the kind of Cloud forest of Alta Verapaz.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, you're right, though. I mean, they don't integrate this stuff into their cuisine. I mean, they, yeah,
6: yeah. We were trying they, to they encourage could. people to do it. We wanted, we were like, come on, try it. We make it, they try. It. They're like, no, I, I prefer it without the cardamom. Thank you very much. <laughs> but we tried to win over the the farm hands and some of the other folks over there, but. You know, If you, if I think you could that,
1: figure that it would go with black beans, I mean, it probably would. That's, I had yeah, black exactly. beans at three, three meals a day when I was in Guatemala.
6: Yeah, but you know what? The cardamom coffee is starting to break through, and, and we did chat with a few folks that were starting to put cardamom in their coffee that maybe that's the foot in the door that cardamom needs to kind of really establish uh a place in Guatemalan cuisine. But we're gonna keep uh trying to proselytize people over to <laughs> to start cooking with cardamom. No, I
1: mean cardamom it goes in Turkish coffee, doesn't it?
6: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, and in many places, especially around Turkey, even when I go back to Israel, the two options of coffee are with cardamom or without cardamom. Oh, you
3: know, really? there's, no, there's
6: no such thing as coffee. If you want coffee with cardamom, it has to say without cardamom, on the label of the packaging.
1: <laughs> oh, my. So So that's um, how much of
6: a standard it is.
1: I'm keep I'm wondrous at how many different spices you come across and you write about I mean, do you really um, inventory all of those things?
6: Yeah, There's I so mean,
3: that's... That-
6: I think that's exactly one of the questions that that my co-founder Ethan and I have been asking ourselves a lot is that, you know, as we grew, I think we we, a lot of people that are really excellent home cooks got to know us and became familiar with our spices. But what we're really trying to do this year is we heard a lot last year saying, I'm not a sophisticated enough cook to use up and barrel. And so we're trying to find all kinds of ways to make it a little bit easier. And so we know that people use more spice blends than they do single spices. So we want to do a little bit more spice blends. And, like, we still – we know that people, like, we're actually going to launch a line of sugars, a coconut sugar, a maple sugar, and a panela that we're bringing in from Colombia. And we're going to do more salt. And so we're just trying to, like, have more things – that you can just kind of get a little entry point into cooking with better spices and salts and seasonings, and maybe that's how you get to know us and get to know the world, and we still want to have fun, crazy, esoteric stuff that you've never heard of. I don't know, did I ever send you our our mesquite powder? What is it again? Mesquite powder. It's from the same tree that people harvest the wood uh, to smoke things. So you may have heard of things like mesquite mesquite smoke.
1: Oh, mesquite. No, I don't have any of that. What do you do with the so
6: season? I'll have to send you some, but this is, instead, this is the powder of the fruits. And so it's really this beautiful kind of sweet, vanilla-y kind of powder um, that you can use in place of cacao. And so I think this, and it's a regenerative, and the trees grow regeneratively. They help the soil, um, and, and you're just harvesting the fruit, so you don't even have to take down the tree for it. So it's, it's really well, this kind of sustainable growth. And so nobody knows about it, nobody uses it, but, but we're really working hard to be sure that mesquite powder gets on people's radar. So maybe the next time we talk, I'll send you a jar, and then you okay. can you can let me know what you think of it and how you're cooking with it.
5: Yeah, can you, can you put it in tequila? Probably.
6: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's most spices you can put in tequila, and, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't be worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, the thing that uh, I found so unusual... Um, in, in Guatemala is drinking um, scotch I mean like it's very expensive there as you could well imagine um, yeah. scotch with coconut water
6: wow is it hydrating yeah. or dehydrating or does one fix the other I
1: don't know <laughs> I have no idea it tastes good
6: <laughs> yeah yeah we've been actually looking into even something that we're working on is also the idea around like bitters or even like liquid bouillon. So we've worked with oh, yeah. a couple of companies. We worked with an excellent company in New Orleans called El Guapo Bitters, and we made a barrel-aged vanilla bitters with them. And we worked with another company called Bitter Cube, um, and and we made a kind of uh, allspice bitters with them. But now the last thing that we're trying to come out with, and this is still a secret and won't be out until maybe November, but we're testing out um, a cardamom extract with them so the same way that you have vanilla extract and you can do that we're we're testing that out with cardamom seeds so we're just trying to find different ways to use the spices
1: yeah I mean the 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 space is getting crowded with spices so you have to uh, disrupt, uh, differentiate yourself I think yeah
6: and you know what I think a lot of spice companies it ends up being overwhelming so like you come into there and you're like hey I'm looking for some spices and they're like great here's 300 and you're like oh yeah, my well, gosh
1: I was going to ask you about that. Now you have some um, protocols on your website and in your newsletter that help with that because I'm I'm losing track even just as a, <laughs> a, you know a consumer of what all there is the options there's so many. I don't know how yeah, you keep yeah. track of it all.
6: That's what we've been trying to do is we try to bring in things on like a limited basis and say hey what do you think of this let's try something. We try to bring in things that aren't competitive with each other. Because I think what's really really wonderful is ideally you can come to our site and say, hey, I want, you know, cinnamon, and we can just send you to the best version of cinnamon that you need without you getting lost around, like, eight or ten different types of cinnamon, which is I think where it becomes a little bit overwhelming and a little bit intimidating. Right. So cinnamon
1: is a good example of where it's overwhelming,
3: <laughs> I think.
6: Yeah. Actually this weekend we're gonna we're gonna write a newsletter about the different types of cinnamon because you have some cinnamon quills from Sri Lanka which are really nice and beautiful and can are great for kind of dishes that you kind of drop the cinnamon in and then pull it out of it. So and, and especially for kind really? of savory dishes. It's they're really good for that. Yeah, and especially Mexican cooking. Anytime they call for a little bit of cinnamon in a pot of beans, these cinnamon quills are a really nice way to add that. Um, But also for mulling spices too. But we also have the cinnamon verum from Zanzibar, which is a much more citrusy and a much less sweet cinnamon, and and that's also really perfect for those kind of savory dishes because it doesn't dominate. Um, And then we have the royal cinnamon. I like I like
1: to put a piece, a pinch of the cinnamon in my uh, vinaigrette. Salad dressing,
6: yeah, and
1: yeah, and and, and, and if you use the real cinnamon, the which you
6: can, it's a lot sweeter and it's a lot more intense, and so like that can really easily steer things towards like a dessert, you know, direction. Yeah. So you just need to kind of find the right combination. So that's what we're trying to do: is just give people what they need for the different occasions. But if you don't know where to start, we want to also make it really easy for you to get there. And that's how we're working on improving our website. So that it's really easy for you to find what you're looking for. It looks beautiful. You can easily scroll through it. Just we're just trying to make a lot of like little changes to just make the whole process fun and delightful and, and, and full of kind of exploration. But if you're missing anything, you tell me and we'll just uh, you have a direct concierge here on the phone.
5: <laughs> Wait, what, what's what's the one that we like so much? It's called Pearls
1: Pearls or something. No, grains of paradise. Grains of Paradise.
6: Yeah, yeah, have you been using that? How have you been cooking with it? We that?
1: used it up. <laughs> we used it
6: all the time.
5: <laughs> you just, you just add oh. it. You can add it to an normal, you can add it to boiled eggs, you can, you, you can, you can add it to anything else. amazing thing is. Yeah,
6: it's, g- not, not greens it of paradise are actually, yeah, I'm so glad that you like it because it, it is, it is really a special spice that, that people do feel a little bit intimidated by but uh grains of paradise is is related to uh to cardamom it's almost like comes in these like
1: really?
6: almost look like dried figs with all the grains of paradise are kind of the seeds inside of it oh, wonderful. um and people think of it a little bit related to pepper it's not particularly spicy as you know um mm-hmm. but it does have this really wonderful kind of like gingery kind of tropical flavor that i think i think it adds a really beautiful direction to so many dishes
5: the, the other thing is funny is the texture the texture yeah. is really interesting. Catch yeah, me tell between me more. Your teeth. I mean, catch a yeah. little between your teeth. and it does, it does amazing things.
6: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's now, one of those spices that you can just put in a pepper grinder if you want to with your peppercorns. If you don't know how mm-hmm. to use it, just just put it in your pepper grinder with peppercorns, white peppercorns, oh, sure, yeah. coriander yeah, sure. if you got it. A little fresh grind uh, blend.
1: That's great. That's a great idea. Yeah. I do this with salt. I, mean, I I just I got um overwhelmed with all the varieties of salts and adding a bit of this and a bit of that so I just put them together and use it like that.
6: Honestly, that's it's that's a really good way to do
3: it. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know. I mean I don't think it's probably professional enough, but I do it. Um now we've been telling people how to go on your website and and find resources. Um, Let's give everybody the exact website for them to look at. Yeah
6: yeah you're always you're always remembering I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) um, Yes so our website is burlap and barrel b-u-r-l-a-p-a-n-d-b-a-r-r-e-l and that's And you can find all of our spices. I think we now have, like, I don't know, a little bit over, like, 80 options for you to choose between. I promise we're trying to keep a curated list. But also, um, actually, Ethan and I are going to be heading to Vietnam at the end of May. He's, he's about to have uh, uh, his first kid, and so he's trying to get all the sourcing out of the way before he tries okay. to get some, before uh, <laughs> so he can take a little bit of paternity time off. So we're we're squeezing in a Vietnam trip right before he welcomes his first child into the world. (laughs) So if you find us on Instagram or on Facebook, uh, follow us at Burlap and Barrel. And you can see kind of we're going to go up to meet the Royal Cinnamon Farmers and the Garlic and Ginger Farmers and actually two of our favorite peppercorn farmers in Central Vietnam. So we're going to have an action-packed trip at the end of May. Um, and, as always, we have our Spice Forum. Look for the Burlap and Barrel Spice Forum on Facebook, where we now have almost 4,000 people just sharing recipes and ideas and answering questions and all that. It's a really wonderful community on the Internet to talk about all things spices.
1: Well, I'll tell you, you're, you're a wonder. <laughs> you are, or you so are. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you... you again i have to encourage our listeners to get on your newsletter because it's i mean i most newsletters i I just would hope i could delete fast but yours i read every word of
6: so oh i really appreciate it we try to make it interesting everybody writes newsletters about sales and then sends you 47 newsletters about their sale and we try to write about our partner farmers and spices and where they come from the recipes idea and all that so If you're somebody who appreciates food and wants to learn a little more about your spices, then uh, our newsletters are nice. We won't bug you too much. We send out one a week, and and that's it.
1: Well, go on on, and sign up for this newsletter, um, listeners, and also um, take advantage of of all these um, ancillary services that this company, Burlap and Barrel, offers in terms of um, you could even join their Spice Club if you want to tiptoe into this whole thing. Um, it, it, the forum is on Facebook, and that's excited too. And there was something else I wanted to mention. You have a service on, and you know, what is it? Um, well, you can um, always
6: just email us at care at and Barrel or at ori at and, barrel. and we, We're just happy to talk to you and talk to you about Spices and answer any questions and all that stuff. Our team... Is a bunch of people that are spice maniacs. So throw all your questions at us.
1: <laughs> well, th- that's off. I think. So anyhow, Ori, as always, <laughs> this has been wonderful, and um, I hope you have a great trip to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Talk about. Good Thank you so food. much.
6: It was really good to chat
1: with you. Yeah, good food in Vietnam, huh?
6: Oh my God, that's honestly that's that's the main reason. I just last time we went, I was just eating pho at least once a day. From the street carts uh you couldn't get me away from the oh yeah from those giant oh, cauldrons yeah. of boiling soup
1: <laughs> fun 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 so anyhow um let me know I'll, I'll wait for your next newsletter and if there's anything else you want to talk about just let us know
6: okay looking forward thank to it thank
1: you so much okay, okay. great Now, we're going to be talking, listeners, to a a dear friend and a long-time colleague, and we we love this burlap and barrel, the company, and and we love talking to Ori Zohar because he knows just about everything. (laughs) So he's our go-to spice person, and uh, you'll notice we regularly have him on board because spicing and spices are a really big issue right now that everybody's learning to cook at home or has been learning to cook at home. And so um, we like to to, to spread as much information as possible. And this company, Burlap and Barrel, is like a one-stop spice and also other kinds of product um, station, is what I think, anyhow. But I, I particularly ask Ori if he could tell us, because there's so much confusion over a, a spice that I love to use, and, and I think other people do too, called za'atar. And um, Ori, why don't you just tell us, sort it out. I mean, what's the, the herb and plant <laughs> and what's the mixture? Or the... Go ahead.
6: Yeah, Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to chat more. Za'atar is also one of my favorite spices. And everybody's confused about it. Um, <laughs> the, yeah. the truth is that there's, you know, across the Middle East, there's za'atar, like so many spice blends. Kind of everybody made their own version. And even when you go from, like, home to home, the ratios and all that stuff are different. But to go all the way to the beginning, za'atar is actually the name of both the, the blend and the herb. And so the blend is based on the herb called za'atar, which is this kind of somewhere in the oregano kind of family somewhere between thyme and oregano and hyssop and um and and it's got this really really incredible kind of refreshing herbal bright flavor um and it grows well and it grows quickly and all that and and the za'atar blend why don't we ever see it
1: offered i mean i never see it offered
6: do you know I, I it it's it is it is surprising. Um I think that the za'atar, the blend has been the thing that, that everyone has gotten so excited about, which is just the, the herb with normally sesame seeds, a little bit of sumac, some places put a little bit of salt in there and in some places also add olive oil to the blend. Um and, and that's what's made it across. I don't know why za'atar by itself hasn't really made made its breakout debut as a as a single, you know
1: <laughs> as a yeah. single spice. I've never seen it listed for uh, as a seedling or a seed or anything. Yeah, we, we brought a little
6: bit of it by itself uh, from our partner farmers in Palestine. And we haven't, I mean, we, we're just using it to make more blends, but but I think if there was more interest in it, we would definitely be happy to also just share the herb by itself. Um, mm-hmm. But in some, some cases, also even uh, some za'atar blends are red, and those are based more on bulgur. And there's like there's the the world of Zatar is is a lot broader than most people kind of know, and, and the nuances between Lebanon and Syria and Palestine and Egypt. There's there's everyone has their own kind of version of it, um, and so it's actually if this is an area that, that you like and a flavor profile that you like, there's so many cool versions of it too. And we're even working with Chef Reem, uh, who's a kind of Palestinian Syrian American chef, um, and uh-huh. just wrote a beautiful new cookbook called Arabia. About yeah, I've been trying the,
1: to get a hold of that. I wanted to review copy. Well, we copy have of copies it.
6: of it, so you just tell us.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I was we'll I hoping to get a review copy of it. I'm I'm sitting here with like oh at least 200 cookbooks in my hall. <laughs> you know?
6: uh, yeah, I'm sure it's it's a lot of weight in terms of paper, but this one is a worthy addition to your shelf. She does a really incredible job going to all the from basic techniques and how to make breads and all and kind of layering it all up to make like entire meals. But we're, we're have, doing a little, like, spicy zatar with her with some of our kind of California chili flakes.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, I saw that um, that she was on your, your latest newsletter, which, listeners, I would urge you to get on this list for the newsletter because it's packed with useful and important information, and I'd love to read it. Do you write it? yeah
6: yeah now honestly we have a few people on the team that are really good writers Ren one of our teammates she was a butcher uh, living in California in the Bay Area and after a while her and her partner moved away um, and she was trying to figure out what to do and we got connected to her through a friend of a friend and and she's just been absolutely incredible so now we have a a former butcher writing our newsletters and and I wouldn't have it about (laughs) spices I wouldn't have it any other way
1: (laughs) Now, um, so you, you think that anybody who's interested in, in getting and in, um, accessing the actual plant, Zatar, if you've got in touch with you, but I have your blend, the, the, the mixture, and I don't know yeah. where it comes from, but it, it's wonderful, and it stands out over previous um, blends that I've had. Why? So, where is it from?
6: Honestly, I think it's it's a lot about freshness. So so normally the way that herbs go and all spices go through this really long supply chain and like we all know like people why do people love fresh herbs over dried herbs? Because dried herbs have the reputation of kinda of tasting like cardboard and it's because they're mm-hmm. just in particular even more sensitive to kinda of losing their flavor over time, over heat, over through moisture, through all of that. So what we did instead is we worked with a kind of Palestinian family that together they're all growing the za'atar, the sumac, the sesame seeds. They're blending it for us at origin. So be oh, us wow. being a public benefit corporation, we're saying how can we share even more of the money with our partner farmers? So instead of That's us great. paying somebody in the U.S. to blend it, we just pay the farmers. We work with them to actually blend it according to their own recipes, according to their own ratios, so this is not necessarily like an American za'atar. This really we're trying to capture the essence of what makes an incredible Palestinian za'atar. And the more money we can leave with the farmers, the better it is. Because oftentimes, like, you know, even like the fair trade price for organic turmeric in India is around a dollar a kilogram. And we pay close to $5 a kilogram, not just because we're paying more for the spices, because we're also kind of setting up the farmers to be their own direct exporter. So the idea on origin blends is a kind of new one for us, and the Zatar is our first origin blend of saying let's work with the farmers to use their traditional recipes and to make these really incredible, incredible blends that, that kind of tie back to, to, their own, to their own kind of lives and to their own work. So that's why the Zatar is really special. And I have to tell you, I was born in Israel. I go back every year. Um, I've never had Zatar like this. I thought I knew.
1: <laughs> but oh, I really, never It's a really intense
6: and good. bright and lively one that we really like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been using it on everything, to tell you the truth. How, you know, how are you I cooking with you it? Tell me. Oh, well, uh, first of all, um, I, I like it. On it's, the, it's hard coming up with something new to do with beets. So um, yeah. Peter uh, boils boils them, and then I get to dress them. And uh, I've, I've hit on um, zatar as, as a very unusual um, twist to the, the standard beet thing.
6: Yeah, the, yeah, that sounds yeah,
1: great. I, I slice them and then sprinkle the zatar on it. And the
5: other thing that's surprising, and you prob- probably haven't noticed because you only just noticed, it was super duper good. But I've been using it on fish. Sprinkling it, yeah, on fish and then painting and painting it on the surface of the skin with olive oil, in the little brush I have called Orca. <laughs> that's
1: just
6: amazing, amazing. Like an orca. yeah, I think that's exactly the zatar. It has the sumac in it, which is this kind of sour, tart, citrusy flavor, and fish already works really well with citrus, so that that's a really good combination.
1: Oh, that's good. Now, um, yeah, y- you recently had a stand up trip to Guatemala, which is a place that I'm very fond of, Um, and uh, I don't think people generally associate Guatemala with spices. Tell us a little bit about that.
6: Yeah, Guatemala's a really interesting country because, you know, spices came into Guatemala in in a funny way um, in that... You know, first in the early 1900s, there were some German coffee farmers in Guatemala that were trying to figure out what else to plant, and there was a yeah. global demand for cardamom because India limits the cardamom that they export, and so it's hard to get kind of cardamom. India grows more cardamom than anywhere else in the world, but it's but they don't. Most of it's for for kind of local consumption. And there's a huge Indian diaspora community. There's also across the Middle East, you know, coffee and cardamom is, is a pairing that, that you know, uh, you, it, it's hard to get coffee without cardamom in many places around really? the Middle East, and yeah. Turkey and the Mediterranean. And so it turns out that cardamom not only grows very well in Guatemala, but that, that an entire industry sprung up around it. And it's, it's one of those very rare instances where Guatemala exports more cardamom than any other country in the world. It has not broken into the local cuisine in any way. They don't like it. They don't know what to do with it. <laughs> they don't cook <laughs> with it. We talked to maybe 20 or 30 people across our trip, and we just said, hey, how, how do you cook with cardamom? They're like, I, I don't. <laughs> so but, but they grow incredible cardamom, and we we met Don Amilcar who is, as far as we know, the only vertically integrated cardamom farmer in Guatemala, where who, even like he was a kid working on the cardamom farms, picking, then eventually went to the military, then eventually started buying up the farmland, then bought the truck, then brought a drying machine, then brought a grinding machine, then just kind of kept picking this stuff up and and, and built this whole cardamom supply chain. And what's really interesting that goes alongside that is that, that uh, since he asked his customers, what else do you need? And so he started growing uh, uh, the whole limes, started growing limes that then sit outside and cure in the sun and turn into black limes. Just through oh, the sun. Oh, is that where like the black lime,
1: last. we also swear by black lime, and that's your black lime comes from Guatemala?
6: It comes from Guatemala, and it's this. It's, it really was a kind of, we talked to the black, lime farmers and they said our our father met with uh somebody from the middle east they said just an arab we said from where they said we don't know and they're like and he taught them how to dry this properly and how to cure this black lime so i think because so much of the cardamom was going to the middle east some enterprising farmers said what else do you need and they said oh well we could also use this like black lime also called persian lime or Omani lime um and so they started growing that and and curing it you know according to the traditional methods which is you know, kinda of laying it out in the sun and letting the juices run and, and it kind of they turn into these like ping pong, hollow ping pong ball kind of limes yeah. and and then they put them in a kind of plastic bag for another twenty, twenty five days and they kind yeah, of cure. It takes cure a long
1: time to there. get black line.
6: <laughs> it takes a long time. A surprising amount of chefs in New York that we've talked to uh do it themselves. They'll throw it in the dehydrator for a few days but it's mm-hmm. a whole lot of work for for a few lines. So That that also comes from Guatemala, and I think the the last thing that's, I think, interesting is that chilies, in general, chili peppers that we all know and love, are all native to Central and South America, and so even though we know Hungarian paprika, and we know Spanish paprika, and they've kind of very nicely propagated themselves across the world, because peppers do a really nice job, you know, you throw a pepper in any environment, and Some are spicy, some are thin-walled, some are thick-walled, some are small, Mm large, and they kind of do a really nice job of adapting to their environment. But peppers, chili peppers, are native to Central and South America. And so outside of the city of Coban in northern Guatemala grows a a pepper called the Cobanero chili. And we asked Uh our partner farmer if he knew anybody that grew it, Don Amilcar. And then the next time we came to visit, he pulled the tarp off of a pile of Cobanero chilies that he had grown and, and dried for us. You know, in the corner lie. of his warehouse. And so this is a really beautiful kind of medium to, to kind of, it's got some bite to it in terms of the spiciness, but it also mm-hmm. has this really beautiful fruitiness and, and just a slight hint of smoke. And so, honestly, it's become one of my favorite chili peppers. And so now we get all this from Guatemala, the, the limes, the cardamom, chili peppers. There's so much that grows there in the very, like, fertile soil of the kind of cloud forest of Alta Verapaz.
1: Well, yeah, I mean they, they, you're right though. I mean they don't integrate this stuff into their cuisine. I mean they, Yeah,
6: yeah. We were trying to encourage people to do it.
1: We wanted we we're like, come on,
6: try it, we make so they try They're like, No, I'd i prefer it without the cardamom, thank you very much. But so we tried <laughs> to win over the, the farm hands and some of the other folks over there. But you know, if you, if I think you could that
1: figure that it would go with black beans, I mean, it probably would. I had yeah, black exactly. beans at three, three meals a day when I was in Guatemala.
6: Yeah, but you know what? The cardamom coffee is starting to break through, and, and uh, we did chat with a few folks that were starting to put cardamom in their coffee and that maybe that's the foot in the door that cardamom needs to kind of really establish uh a place in guatemalan cuisine but we're going to keep uh, trying to proselytize people over to <laughs> to start cooking with cardamom
1: no i mean cardamom it goes in turkish coffee doesn't it
6: yeah that's exactly right yeah okay. and in many places especially around turkey even when i go back to israel the two options of coffee are with cardamom or without cardamom
3: oh, you know, really? there's no
6: there's no such thing as coffee if you want coffee with cardamom it has to say without cardamom, on the label of the packaging.
1: <laughs> oh, my. So So that's also, how much of
6: a standard it is.
1: I'm keep I'm wondrous at how many different spices you come across and you write about. I mean, do you really um, inventory all of those things?
6: Yeah,
1: There's I so mean, that.
6: I think that's exactly one of the questions that, that my co-founder Ethan and I have been asking ourselves a lot is that, you know, as we grew, I think we, we a lot of people that are really excellent home cooks got to know us and became familiar with our spices, but what we're really trying to do this year is we heard a lot last year saying, I'm not a sophisticated enough cook to use burlap and barrel, and so we're trying to find all kinds of ways to make it a little bit easier. And so we know that people use more spice blends than they do single spices. So we want to do a little bit more spice blends. And, like, we still – we know that people, like, we're actually going to launch a line of sugars, a coconut sugar, a maple sugar, and a panela right. that we're bringing in from Colombia. And we're going to do more salt. And so we're just trying to, like, have more things – that you can just kind of get a little entry point into cooking with better spices and salt and seasonings. And maybe that's how you get to know us and get to know the world. And we still want to have fun, crazy, esoteric stuff that you've never heard of. I don't know, did I ever send you our our mesquite powder? What is it again? Mesquite powder. It's from the same tree that people harvest the wood uh, to smoke things. So you may have heard of things like mesquite mesquite smoke.
1: No, I don't have any of that. What do you do with this so
6: season? I'll have to send you some, but this is instead this is the powder of the fruits, and so it's really this beautiful kind of sweet vanilla y kind of powder um that you can use in place of cacao and so I think this and it's a regener and the trees grow regeneratively, they help the soil um and and you're just harvesting the fruit so you don't even have to take down the tree for it so it's it's really oh, just a kind of sustainable growth. And so nobody knows about it. Nobody uses it, but, but we're really working hard to make sure that mesquite powder gets on people's radar. So maybe the next time we talk I'll send you a jar and then you okay. can you can let me know what you think of it and how you're cooking with it.
5: Yeah, can you can you put it in tequila? Probably, yeah.
6: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean that's most spices you can put in tequila and you know <laughs> it wouldn't be worse.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: The thing that I found so unusual um in, in Guatemala is drinking um scotch. I mean like it's very expensive there as you could well imagine. Um yeah. scotch with coconut water.
6: Wow. Is it hydrating yeah. or dehydrating or does one fix the other?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. It tastes good.
6: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've been actually looking into even something that we're working on is also the idea around like bitters or even like liquid bouillon. So we've worked with a couple of companies. We worked with an excellent company in New Orleans called El Guapo Bitters, and we made a barrel-aged vanilla bitters with them. And we worked with another company called Bitter Cube, um, and, and we made a kind of uh, all-spice bitters with them. But now the last thing that we're trying to come out with, and this is still a secret and won't be out until maybe November, but we're testing out um, a cardamom extract, with them, so the same way that you have vanilla extract and you can do that, we're we're testing that out with cardamom seeds. So we're just trying to find different ways to use the spices.
1: Yeah, I mean the 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 space is getting crowded with spices, so you have to uh, disrupt, uh, differentiate yourself. I think. Yeah, and you know what? I
6: think a lot of spice companies, it ends up being overwhelming. So like you come into there and you're like, hey, I'm looking for some spices, and they're like, great, here's three hundred, and you're like, oh yes, my well, gosh
1: I was going to ask you about that. Now you have some um, protocols on your website and in your newsletter that help with that because I'm I'm losing track even just as a, a, you know a consumer of what all there is the options there's so many. I don't know how yeah, you keep yeah. track of it all.
6: That's what we've been trying to do is we try to bring in things on like a limited basis and say hey what do you think of this let's try something. We try to bring in things that aren't competitive with each other, because like, I think mm-hmm. what's really what's really wonderful is, ideally, you can come to our site and say, "Hey, I want you know, cinnamon," and we can just send you to the best version of that cinnamon that you need without you getting lost around like eight or ten different types of cinnamon, which is I think where it becomes a little bit overwhelming and a little bit intimidating. Right. So cinnamon
1: is a good example of where it's overwhelming,
3: <laughs> I think.
6: Yeah. Actually this weekend we're gonna we're gonna write a newsletter about the different types of cinnamon because you have some cinnamon quills from Sri Lanka which are really nice and beautiful and can are great for kind of dishes that you kinda of drop the cinnamon in and then pull it out of it. So in and especially for kind really? of savory dishes. It's they're really good for that. Yeah, and especially Mexican cooking. Anytime they call for a little bit of cinnamon in a pot of beans, or these cinnamon quills are a really nice way to add that. Um, but also for mulling spices too. But we also have the cinnamon verum from Zanzibar, which is a much more citrusy and a much less sweet cinnamon, and and that's also really perfect for those kind of savory dishes because it doesn't dominate. Um, and then yeah, we have the world. I like not. I like
1: to put a piece of, a pinch of the cinnamon in my uh, vinaigrette salad dressing yeah yeah and 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 if you use the real cinnamon which you
6: can it's a lot sweeter and it's a lot more intense and so like that can really easily steer things towards like a dessert you know direction so you just need to kind of find the right combination so that's what we're trying to do is just give people what they need for the different occasions but if you don't know where to start we want to also make it really easy for you to get there and that's how we're working on improving our website so that it's really easy for you to find what you're looking for. It looks beautiful. You can easily scroll through it. Just we're just trying to make a lot of like little changes to just make the whole process fun and delightful and, and, and full of kind of exploration. But if you're missing anything, you tell me and we'll just uh, you have a direct concierge here on the phone.
5: <laughs> Wait, uh, what, what's what's the one that we like so much? It's called Pearls
1: Pearls or something. No grains of paradise. Grains of Paradise.
6: Yeah, yeah, have you been using that? How have you been cooking with it? We that?
1: used it up. We
5: used it all the time. You just, you just add oh. it. You can add it to a normal, you can add it to boiled eggs, you can, you, you can, you can add it to anything else. amazing thing is. It? Yeah,
6: it's, not, not Greens it of Paradise good, are actually, yeah, I'm so glad that you like it because it, it is, it is really a special spice that, that
3: people do feel a little bit
6: intimidated by. But uh, grains of paradise is is related to uh, to cardamom. It's almost like comes in these like really? almost look like dried figs, with all the grains of paradise are kind of the seeds inside of it. Oh, um, And people think of it a little bit related to pepper. It's not particularly spicy, as you know, um, mm-hmm. but
5: it does have this really
6: wonderful kind of like gingery, kind of tropical flavor that I think I think it adds a really beautiful direction to so many dishes. The, the
5: other thing is funny is the texture. The texture yeah. is really interesting. Catch yeah, tell between me more. Teeth. I mean, catch a yeah. between your teeth. And it, does, <laughs> and it does amazing things.
6: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now, it's one of those spices that you can just put in a pepper grinder if you want to with your peppercorns. If you don't know mm-hmm. how to use it, just just put it in your pepper grinder with peppercorns, white peppercorns, oh, sure, yeah. coriander yeah. if you got it. A little fresh grind uh, blend.
1: blends. That's great. That's a great idea. Yeah. I do this with salts. You know, I, I just I got um, overwhelmed with all the varieties of salts and adding a bit of this and a bit of that. So I just put them together and use it like that.
6: Honestly, that's it's, that's a really good way to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's probably professional enough, but I do it. Um, now we've been telling people how to. Go on your website and and find resources. Um, Let's give everybody the exact website for them to
3: look at. Yeah,
6: yeah, you're always you're always remembering. I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) um, Yes, so our website is Burlap and Barrel. B u r l a p a n d b a r r e l and that's And you can find all of our spices. I think we now have, like, I don't know, a little bit over, like, 80 options for you to choose between. I promise we're trying to keep a curated list. But also, um, actually, Ethan and I are going to be heading to Vietnam at the end of May. He's, he's about to have uh, uh, his first kid, and so he's trying to get all the sourcing out of the way before he tries okay. to get some, before uh, <laughs> so he can take a little bit of maternity time off. So we're, we're squeezing in a Vietnam trip right before his he welcomes his first child into the world. <laughs> so if you find us on Instagram or on Facebook, uh, follow us at Burlap and Barrel, and you can see kind of we're going to go up to meet the Royal Cinnamon Farmers and the Garlic and Ginger Farmers and actually two of our favorite peppercorn farmers in Central Vietnam. So we're going to have an action-packed oh, wow. trip at the end of May. Um, and, as always, we have our Spice Forum. Look for the Burlap and Barrel Spice Forum on Facebook, where we now have almost 4,000 people just sharing recipes and ideas and answering questions and all that. It's a really wonderful community on the Internet to talk about all things spices.
1: Well, I'll tell you, you're, you're a wonder. <laughs> you are, or you so are and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you, uh, again, I have to encourage our listeners to get on your newsletter because it's... I mean, I, most newsletters I, I just would hope I could delete fast, but yours I read every word of.
6: So, oh, and, I really appreciate it. We try to make it interesting. Everybody writes newsletters about sales, and then sends you 47 newsletters about their sale. And we try to write about our partner farmers and spices and where they come from, oh, yeah. and recipes, I and all that. So if you're somebody who appreciates food and wants to learn a little more about your spices, then... Uh, our newsletters are nice. We won't bug you too much. We send out one a week, and, and that's it.
1: Yeah, well, go on, on and sign up for this newsletter, um, listeners, and also um, take advantage of, of all these um, ancillary services that this company, Burlap and Barrel, offers in terms of um, you could even join their Spice Club if you want to tiptoe into this whole thing. um it, it, the forum is on Facebook, and that's excited too. And there was something else I wanted to mention. You have a service on, and you know, what is it? Um, well, you can I'm always
6: just email us at care at and or at Ori at and Barrel, and we, we're just happy to talk to you and talk to you about spices and answer any questions and all that stuff. Our team is a bunch of people that are spice maniacs, so throw all your questions at us. <laughs>
1: Well th- that's us, I think. So, anyhow Ori as always <laughs> this has been wonderful and um I hope you have a great trip to Vietnam. Mhm. Talk about good Thank you so food. much.
6: It was really good to chat
1: with you. Yeah, good food in Vietnam. Huh?
6: Oh my god, that's honestly that's that's the main reason. I just last time we went I was just eating pho at least once a day from the street carts. Uh, you couldn't get me away from the Oh yeah. from those giant oh, cauldrons yeah. of boiling soup. <laughs>
1: Fun, fun, fun. So anyhow, um, let me know. I'll I'll wait for your next newsletter. And if there's anything else you want to talk about, just let us know.
6: Okay. Looking forward to it. Thank
1: you so much. Okay.
0: Okay. Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
1: For our final uh, segment here, we're going to be talking to Anna Vochino and her um, company. She's CEO of Eat Happy Kitchen, which brings you not only deliciousness but also um, healthful, Italian-inspired, for the most part, eating. Here is Anna. Yeah, we're going to be talking to Anna Vochino. Who is the CEO of Eat Happy Kitchen, and we're talking Italian, <laughs> and, and it, it's such a delight. It's been too long since we've been in Italy, uh, and welcome to the show and um, and thank you for introducing us to your wonderful, well, your company, uh, your products, um, your podcasts, your books. Um, I mean, how long have you been doing this?
4: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And, yes, I, I feel like if we can just wane nostalgic about Italy for a little while, because I'm in the same boat. We haven't been able to get back since before yeah. pandemic. And I'm going this fall, and I'm thrilled. And, and my daughter, who is a painter, just got an artist-in-residency in Rome, so she's going to be going for nine months in the fall. So now I have a great excuse to Oh, to go. where is she going to be? And she's going to be right in Rome at the British School in Rome. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. A, a painting residency. I know. I was like, kiddo, you're living the life. You're you're starting your life in adulthood in a pretty great way. Yeah. With a pretty and great I, opportunity. I went to
1: school in Florence. That was a long time ago, oh, but but
3: that's we're, we're
1: regular we're regulars there. And I mean, I don't know if there's a section that we've not been to, but we, we once took a whole what was it? A week and a half, ten days. Um, Christmas time in rome and it was really fun
5: the only place
4: the only i place think we did, might have to do christmas in rome this year
1: oh it's, oh, it's fun. wonderful it's, it's
5: it's so it's so much what christmas is supposed to be about there, there was a, there's only one place in italy that i hated and it's called Cinque
1: Terre. oh i hated Cinque Terre.
4: <laughs> why because it was overrun with with yes. that yeah, yeah. With german yeah.
1: tourists it was terrible i mean people would would go in these hill towns they would go up these tourists with the hiking boots and knock on the windows of people's houses and peer in and <laughs> was awful i hated it well
4: that's some bad behavior right there
1: yeah right there but, they,
4: but at least you're in italy and you know the italians will yell back at you you if you do
1: something <laughs> they're going to
4: holler right back at you
1: you know where are you right now i mean you in the states right
4: now you? i'm in southern california i live in uh actually it's a climate very similar to where my family's from in italy and Pulia. i live in the santinez valley which is about a half an hour north of santa barbara and it kind of starts the central valley wine coast of california
3: nice okay. that goes
4: up to you know carmel monterey and then you have san francisco and the napa above that so it's a pretty dreamy place to live and yeah. um the only place better would be to go to italy right Oh, there we go. Yeah, no, I mean
1: I I we seriously considered actually moving to Italy at one point, but um I talked to some people who um had bought property there and it it's pretty complicated. <laughs> it is.
3: Despite and by the book,
1: way,
4: we, we Yeah, by the exactly. Read that that under the Tuscan Sun book, you'll get an idea of it. And I, listen, my one of my dearest friends I use his olive. He lives in Puglia in Terlitsi, which is further south of where my family's from. It's a little north of Bari, about twenty minutes mm-hmm. north of Bari. And he mm-hmm. makes olive oil and sends it over here. And he was a podcast sponsor for years. And then I was like, "I'm starting to make sauces. I need your olive oil. So he puts his olive oil in my sauce. And you know, because the whole thing with me, too, was I was shocked to discover how much stuff is adulterated on the grocery store shelves here and how much everybody looks oh, the other way. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. So my friend sends his olive oil over for me to put in the sauce, which is very important to me to have a high. Everything's high quality. It's got to be high quality, and we also use the San Marzano organic tomatoes from Italy as well, and and just bringing bringing everything over to me was really important to the, to the to the flavors to make it all really work. You know.
1: Yeah. Well. I mean, you have so much going on, and investors in this company. Um, We're not talking so much about your 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 books. Um, although how many of those do you have?
4: I have two books, and I'll have another one coming out soon. (laughs) I just I just inked that deal, so I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet. But I I, yes, it's happening. And I uh, you asked how long I've been doing this. I mean, I've been podcasting. I started off as a comic and an actor and a voice talent. I still am a voice talent. I always
1: say a voice talent. How did I not know people. that? I mean, I did do that in a way. I could tell well, you're a public person. <laughs> well, that's why
4: I had to. That's why I had to run this interview through a proper microphone. I couldn't just talk to you over the phone. I had to like, nerd out. on it. <laughs> But no, I, that's what I started out doing. And when you're in the entertainment business especially as a talent, you're waiting for the phone to ring, and it's not a very empowering place to be. And so I was on a show that was on VH1 and Comedy Central, and it was canceled, and I was really depressed about it, and I kind of went down a rabbit hole for a couple of years, and a friend of mine called me and said, I wrote a book, and they told me I have to have a podcast. And I know you produce podcasts, because I did at the time was producing podcasts for a couple of friends of mine. And uh let's do a podcast. And I was like, I don't want to do a podcast. <laughs> and then I read his book. It's called Fitness Confidential. And it was so good that it basically made me work for free and start to build. And all of that kind of sprung out of this. And what happened was in 2002, I was diagnosed with celiac. Now,
3: celiac oh, no. is... Yeah. I
1: know. It- it's not <laughs>
4: fun because you're basically told you can't have all your favorite companies. I know. Right? Exactly. <laughs> you have to funny. read all those
1: labels. Uh, yeah.
4: Oh, I know. I'm from the South. And so... I was like, what am I going to do? So I started blogging gluten-free recipes. I went to Whole Foods. This is probably 2002, ten, 20 years ago. I went to Whole Foods, and I bought a gluten-free bag of cookies. Because, you know, back then Cardboard. you could find, like, three things. Cardboard. I Cardboard. threw it across. The, it was $17, number one. It was $17 because <laughs> it was so expensive to get, like, anything made gluten-free. And I threw it across the room, and I was like, there's got to be a better way. I'm determined to make you know, lasagna, red velvet cake, key lime I'm, I'm determined to make all my favorites gluten-free so that if somebody came over, they wouldn't know the difference. So, But then what happened was that I started eating all those foods <laughs> and putting on weight and putting on weight and putting on weight. And working in Hollywood, that makes you think twice about, like, well, what am I doing yeah. now? So when my friend Vinny came along and said, let's start this podcast, little did I know that it would change my entire focus to be not only gluten-free but also sugar and grain-free. Now, that being said, I still have treats from time to time. I'm not like a machine. But I got healthier by doing that and changed my entire focus. And the thing is, what's the first thing you want to eat when you're giving up carbs? You want to eat Italian food. You're telling me I can't have pasta and pizza anymore? And I'm like, no, you can. There's some workarounds. I got you, boo. Like, I'll take care of you. And so, you know, while you wait for the phone to ring for voiceover jobs to come through, I basically jump in and out of my booth here into the kitchen and make recipes and take pictures and post it on the Internet. So it's kind of like, um, I, think, I feel like I invented the side hustle. My entire life has been a side hustle that's turned into just a hustle.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know the, uh, like, I, we've known people in Los Angeles who are actors, and they all come up with absolutely the most off-the-wall um hobbies just to fill the time yes. in between calls
3: i mean i remember trying to, to get that. interested like in this money one. In between <laughs>
1: this guy whose hobby was cactuses and he had a rooftop lo- oh some an apartment or a loft or something in in los angeles and um and, and he grew all these cactuses <laughs> i don't
3: amazing. Know. yeah I, it's hard to be
1: really interested in cactuses <laughs> It's all right, but anyhow, so, but, uh, yeah, the, you got into podcasts. We were doing radio, and uh, the station was real techie, and we didn't even know that we were being podcasted <laughs> you know, right, right. somebody told us, yeah, so, and then we, we ended up, of course, doing it yeah. ourselves, but in 2004, yeah. which is, it's pretty early, because so, that is early, uh, but, yeah, let, let's let's talk about. Um, y- you've already given us lots of clues here. I mean, we're we're talking about not only delicious, we're talking about healthful, which does not always go together. I mean, I my ears perked up when you told me about the gluten free or the uh, yeah the the, the cookies, um, yeah. because I I never up until very recently tasted any. Gluten free, anything that did not taste like cardboard.
4: Yeah, it's really got to be homemade from scratch, you, and you really have to understand working with the different flours. And some things just aren't going to work; they're just not going to work. You know what I mean? And other things you can get to work. And it's just one of those things that's like a toss up. But and listen, in Italy, they test every child for celiac by the age of six. They had a big PR campaign in the late '90s, early 2000s about celiac. So they're all for. So when I go over there. They have gluten-free pasta everywhere you go. Like, they're, like, yep, we got you. Celiac. Well, you know? tell me
1: why. I mean, is, is, uh, celiac, is it, high in Italian? I don't know.
4: I, I don't, I mean, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I, I'm not I a doctor. I don't that. think doctors can figure out why there's been this prol- proliferation of, of autoimmune, but dang, yeah. I got it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I we gotta, gotta manage, manage it, you know. A, a woman yeah. from India who's Uh, husband uh, had serious diabetes and she she actually got him off of um, uh, insulin by uh, making healthier food on basic traditional recipes you know but anyhow she said India is the uh, diabetes capital of the world well you could you can see that from the diet right
4: yeah I've heard that and I it actually kind of makes sense uh, is a diet high and and listen the standard american diet's become so high in processed sugars and grains that it's it's an epidemic here oh, so please. it doesn't surprise me that that would happen to other countries i know the uk has had a rise of all of it and um you know some people can there's just there's a certain amount of the population who can just tolerate it and be fine and they just never will have a you know an insulin resistance problem and then there's people like me who can't go that direction, and especially the older I get, you know, the more your body rebels on you. That's not fun. Oh, it does.
1: That's not fair. It does, does yeah. Um, but but um, you, your food products, you, you have your three basic sauces here. Yes. Um, puttanesca marinara. And I didn't know this was pink crema sauce. I mean, that's, it's called something else. It's
4: basically a vodka I, sauce or or a pink sauce, but I call oh, it okay. pink crema because vodka, I didn't right. put vodka in it. You know, okay. I want kids to eat it and not feel like, hey, I'm feeding anyhow, vodka these, to my kids.
1: These are are distinguished by the fact that they taste fresh and authentic. Yes. And also, yes. you you bullet uh, note here that you have no sugar added, no gluten, no GMOs. The ingredients are right. all organic. They, the sauces are keto and paleo-friendly. Um, they're made in small batches, and they have an 18-month shelf life. You know I mean, what could you do better than that?
4: Listen, that's the best we can do. And, and the reason why I started it, too, is on the podcast, I talked about how I wanted to do my sauces. Now, I'm somebody who's always made sauce from scratch. So I thought to myself, why would anybody buy a sauce? I wouldn't buy a sauce because I just make it yeah. from scratch, right? Well, it that's what the, I was raised the same way,
1: yeah.
4: Right. But it turns out most Americans don't actually have the time or the inkling to do that, but they, want, they still want something. But Americans love taste. We want stuff that tastes really good. And uh-huh. so a listener called me, and he said, I've lost 85 pounds cooking from (gasps) your cookbooks. Wow. I know. And he said, I'm a food manufacturer, and I'm trying to get away from manufacturing so much food with sugar in it. And at the time, I went to the pasta sauce aisle at the grocery store, and I kept picking up all these different pasta sauces, and they all had sugar in them or corn syrup. I mean, my God, what are we doing?
1: Yeah. Well, I was
4: like, I'm going to do something different. Go I food. think it's, it's, it's I think no sugar,
1: sugar. <laughs> to Americans is a dog whistle. I mean, you try to find a salad dressing that doesn't have sugar in it. Well, that's my you next try. Anything with I mean, everything product. has sugar in it, right?
4: Yep, it really does. Well, that's why my I just launched three spice mixes as well that don't have any sugar added and don't have any anti-caking or fillers in them. So no cornstarch, no brown rice hulls, no anti slip agents, no extra oils or seed oil. And I gotta tell you, it took eighteen months to get those done and and off the factory line because at every turn people kept trying to put stuff in the spice mixes. <laughs> and they would say, you know, you don't have to label it and I was like, but that's not who I am. Like I have to <laughs> sleep at night. You probably have to I'm label gonna label it. everything. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm wondering. So no
1: is the <laughs> What's new or- going on is the newer product line, your spice blends.
4: Yes, the newer product line are my spice blends. Yep, I did okay. a, a ranch, which are not very Italian. I did a ranch; they're very American. And yeah, they American. You
1: have every, yeah barbecue dust, taco, mm-hmm. and dill. Which uh, the That's dill right. works very well with uh, steamed green beans. By the way, I tried that.
4: Ooh.
3: That yeah, sounds that good. Well. Yeah,
4: I've been sprinkling them on vegetables too, and then roasting the vegetables in the oven. I love it. And and I did the barbecue dust on the rack of ribs last night, and it was pretty incredible and really easy to make, which I which is what I wanted because I, and the taco seasoning again came from when you go, you know, three decade twenty five years ago to twenty eight years ago. I would go buy a packet of Ortega off the shelf to make Taco Tuesdays, right? And I turned the thing over and I was like, why does it have corn syrup and cornstarch and this, that, and the other thing in it? Right? And I was like, so I've been making homemade taco seasoning forever and ever and ever. And again, when somebody told me, you know, I'd buy that if you sold it, I was like, you would? Why wouldn't you just make it? So I had to get over (laughs) the thing of like, you know, sell the people what they want, make a nice product and sell the people what they want. So that was interesting for, it was a learning curve for me to understand that, yes, people want convenience, but it's obviously got to taste good. That's number one. And number two, it can't have all the junk in it because why do it? Does the world need another pasta sauce? Does the world need another taco seasoning? No, but they need a clean one that tastes delicious. So that's been my motivation.
1: Right. Well, they, um, I, I would say that, that this stuff goes in to, to the. It, how to say? I mean, a lot like fast food. Why do people eat that stuff? Because they put stuff in that are actually, that stuff is actually addictive. Is it? Definitely.
4: You know that sugar is very addictive.
1: Mhm. Yeah. So, um, so it's listening to the market, I guess. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm happy that you've stepped up and filled a void here. for
4: us. Well, listen, from your mouth to God's ears, the next step is to, you know, educate. I do have a built-in audience with my podcast, but to be able to come on shows like yours and tell my story, and I hope it resonates with people, because I know that, like, we all pick up the things and look at the ingredients, and we're like, wait, what? I don't, I can't pronounce that. I don't know what that is. Why is that in there? It doesn't need to be. It just is, because it makes it easier for the manufacturers. But it's not easier on our
1: bodies, sadly. No. So, but uh, you're healthy now because you've been eating your own food?
4: Listen, I'm as healthy as I can be. And, and I, I I named my books and my company Eat Happy and Eat Happy Kitchen because for me, it changed my brain chemistry to cut out so much processed foods. I didn't even realize how much was tied up in what I was eating. You know, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Yeah. It rang true for me. It really helped me. So it seems like a, a silly, trite title, but it really helped me change my brain chemistry.
1: You know? Well, I mean, I so. think that's true. I mean, it, it's, we hear it over and over again with uh, guests on the show about how they changed their eating habits and it changed their life. And I'm a firm believer in these um, gut bio what are they called? Got the, the little buggies. There, oh, the gut biome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. biome.
4: Well. And with celiac, I'm sure there's that stuff going on with me, too. And, and it seems like everybody has gut problems these days. And like what, it could probably have something to do with us eating so much processed junk that our tummies are like, we're, we don't want this. Why are you giving this to us?
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think part of the problem is that pediatricians, not, I remember when our, our granddaughter was born, um, my daughter-in-law said, um, what did you feed Adam? That's my son when he was a baby, and she showed me on her refrigerator door was like an inch and a half thing. I mean, packet of papers on dietary considerations that went on and on, like no fish until after two years of age. I mean, things like this, oh. which and you cut everything off. Like that, um, and when you re- when you introduce stuff into the diet, that people have um, immune reactions and uh, allergic mm. reactions, uh, it's not normal. So, I mean, what we did was we, you know, when I wasn't breastfeeding threw things in the um, food processor, whatever we were eating. Right. Right. But um, they, they, the medical community, doesn't seem to recognize any of that.
4: No, I mean, and and my experience has been from having so many doctors on our podcast interview is that you know they really only get two hours of nutritional education in med school because they're focused on other, other things. and so that's that's something that's turned over to the dietitians. and you know, so it, it is an interesting thing. I think doctors are starting to get at least I have Facebook groups, so I hear from the people. But I, I feel mm-hmm. like doctors are starting to get more and more involved in understanding that that food actually does affect things, especially when we have such an epidemic of type two diabetes and metabolic syndrome and high blood pressure and yeah, all this you're stuff. You're right; they PTSD. don't get
1: the training. They don't get the. I, right. I, it's, I've it's talked to. Talked about. Yeah. I've talked to doctors at my gym, and um, they don't have a clue. <laughs> I mean, they just don't. Yeah, about what to eat. Well, when remember eat.
4: when I was younger, the doctors would all they would all smoke outside the, <laughs>
1: outside the hospital.
4: <laughs> That's changed, I think. But you know what I mean? Like, doctors are people too. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I had a, um, a, a OBGYN, I, a pair of them. And if you went to one, you got a spiel, and then went to the other, you got the totally opposite spiel. <laughs> No guidance whatsoever, and nobody knew anything right. about food. So, and so all right. Well, we decided your product is good. Rabbit, did you have a question?
5: I was just gonna. I'm just gonna make an observation. of your Of your two do- doctors, which which one was the one who smoked?
1: The one who died. Answer <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, is the one who died at age 55. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But anyhow, well, no, we've we've talked about how wonderful your products are, and hopefully we can direct people also to your podcast. Uh, By the same name, is it?
4: The podcast I'm on is called Fitness Confidential, and uh, I'm the co-host of the Monday show on Fitness
1: Confidential, but we talk about
4: all this stuff, and, and to be honest with you, we've been doing it for over 10 years now, and it's really just don't eat sugars and grains until you do but do it sporadically and move your body. Like, it's not rocket science. It's kind of just getting back to common sense. Like, I want to be a voice of reason in this stuff. And I, and I can't believe what a struggle it is to get food produced that should be really clean. It should be a no-brainer. I know. So that's, that's my goal is to get okay. that done.
1: And then, and you have cookbooks, so look for her name, uh-huh. She's author. Yes. Eat happy and eat happy. Too. Anna Anna yes. Vocino, V O C I N O, and the the brand name is Eat Happy Kitchen, and then there are the products. And that's my final question here: is how do you get these wonderful products?
4: Well, if you like to order things on the internet. Which most of us do these days, because it's quite a rush. Let's be honest, to receive a box of mm-hmm. the mail. Yeah, um, you can go to eathappykitchen.com, dot com and you can order everything there. And if you happen to live in Southern California, Arizona, and a few grocery stores in Colorado, uh, Georgia, and Minnesota, we are we are adding new grocery stores literally every week. So we do have at eathappykitchen.com dot com a list of local retailers that you can get the product from. Okay. And. Um, if anybody's going to the Fancy Food Show in in, in June, okay. come by and say yeah, hi. Be have yeah, you been I'm before? I'm really excited to go to that. No, listen, we're only a year and a half old company. I can't believe we've grown the amount we have, and we're about to launch in about a hundred more retailers in the next two weeks.
1: Well, get ready for so. the Fancy Food Show. It's something. It's enormous. Absolutely enormous. Three days, I you guess. can't even get through the show. <laughs>
4: Oh well, I hope everybody gets through to our booth.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's be
4: fun. I'm excited.
1: I "I hope everybody
5: gets through to our booth. Yeah, right. Well, be sure be sure to wear your most comfortable shoes, whatever you do.
4: That's what I hear. I'm. I got my little tennis shoes.
1: I'm ready. (laughs) Yeah. So, and and you can't. I want. Probably still can't take one of those roller things, roller board things. You can't take that on the show floor so you know don't
3: want to don't, carry don't everything,
1: scoot
2: around you know. on a Segway I
1: don't think you're allowed to do that I'm sure you don't get to do that oh uh, well and I hope you have a wonderful well experience at the show because it's it's really extraordinary uh, you j- just have no concept of how huge it is um, it, it fills the, the, that whole convention center and, and just and you'll move from one thing to the next—a pickle here, a cu- cookie next. To, you know, it's just the basic.
4: I, I That's what I told my staff. I was like, everyone has to eat lunch via samples at the family food show. Yes, exactly. We're spending all of our money to get here. Yep.
1: Well, have fun there, and have fun on your trip Thank to you. Italy. And and Thank good you so much. luck also on um, your unnamed but upcoming new cookbook. Thank you, thank you so you much. for taking bless time to
4: talk to us. Thank you both so much. Thank you for having me. It
1: was fun. Ciao.
5: Until next week, we'll see you then. Bye bye bye. <laughs>
0: Broadcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP
3: Station, www.aspstation.net.